Let us pray together. Gracious God, we thank you that you always have more light and more love and more life to bring to us from your word. We pray now that as we have gathered as your people, that your Holy Spirit would move in our midst and guide us into the truth. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. While I was living in China back in the 90s, I decided to read through the whole Bible from cover to cover for the very first time. And uh, if you're interested in doing this, all you have to do is read three pages a day, every day. If you uh, get behind three days, you have to read nine. And so it's the consistency that makes this possible, three pages a day. There were times as I was reading that I laughed out loud. There are some very, very funny stories in the Bible. There were times when I was shocked to find such explicit sexual material in the Bible. And there were also times when I was appalled by the horrifying violence that I was reading about. And eventually, when I finally got to Jesus, there were times where I was moved to tears. Along the way, as I was reading through the Bible, I found myself beginning to ask a number of questions. And the most important one for me is, what is the arc? What is the trajectory of what God is doing or trying to do in the Bible? Where is this story going? It's a very important question. Because once we see that this story is going to Jesus, we see in Scripture what fits with what God intends and what does not. As I was reading through the Bible, a number of texts began to rise to the surface in importance. And one of these was a verse from Ezekiel 33 that we just heard this morning. I have no pleasure, God says, in the death of the wicked. But I desire that the wicked would turn from their ways, would turn to me and live. Another key passage for me became John 3, 17. God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but God sent the Son into the world that in order that we might be saved and healed through Him. In other words, God's supreme purpose in Scripture is not to cut off people, but to restore us to loving relationship, to communion with God. This then becomes the very purpose of Jesus' teachings of his life and death and resurrection. 
Jesus shows us a God whose passionate desire is that no one will ever be lost who can be saved. No one will ever be lost who can be saved. We see this yearning reflected in the Bible's deeply relational images for God. God is like a loving father, Jesus tells us in the prodigal son story, who patiently waits for strange children to come home and then runs out to meet us. God is like a loving mother who yearns for her children finally to come home. As Jesus says in his lament over Jerusalem, how often I have desired to gather you together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And so today, a little bit later, when we say the Lord's Prayer together, our worship commission wants to invite you to address God as either father or mother. And please use the image that helps you connect most deeply with the God who wants to connect with you. All right, I invite you now to turn in your Bibles to the passage that we're going to be focusing on today, Matthew 18. Because here at East Chestnut, we want to become more fully a Matthew 18 church. And I believe it's quite a revelation to read this passage, the words of Jesus for East Chestnut this morning, in the light of what God says in Ezekiel 33. If you'll allow me to paraphrase Jesus, He is telling East Chestnut, I have no pleasure in your cutting off strained members, but desire instead that you would do everything in your power to regain them into God's family. Now you might be saying, well, preacher, that's a bit of a stretch. But I invite you, if you have your Bible open, to look at what comes right before Jesus, our passage that we have this morning from Jesus. What is it? It's Jesus' parable about going and searching and finding the one lost sheep. And what comes right after this reading? Jesus is teaching for us to forgive. How many times? 77 77 times 7, you get the message. I hope it's becoming clear this morning that Matthew 18 isn't Jesus' discipline manual for how to cut off strained people. And sadly, this interpretation has a long, long legacy in our Mennonite family. Rather, this is Jesus' discipling manual for how to, re- to correct 
and to restore strain members. Reconciliation. Restored communion needs always to be our motivation. Why? Because this is God's motivation. And so, Jesus lays out for East Chestnut here, we've got to make this personal. This isn't for a church 2,000 years ago. It's for us here today. Jesus gives East Chestnut four simple steps to follow when someone has strayed or wronged us. First step, go to the person alone. Second step, if they don't listen, take along one or two trusted members. Number three, if they don't Listen still, take this matter to the whole church. And then number four, if this member still has not been regained, then treat them as a Gentile and a tax collector. And we all know how Jesus treated Gentiles and tax collectors, right? With great love and hope. Now I want to focus this morning only on the first step. Go to the person directly. Because I believe that 99% of our problems can be solved if we just do that. When we feel hurt or wronged, Jesus teaches us to go to each other directly, quietly, and quickly. Why directly? So that others in our church don't needlessly need to get pulled in or involved. Why go quietly? Because our goal is to regain our neighbor, not to humiliate them. And the more drama that we make along the way, the less likely it is for the other person to be able to receive what we have to say. When someone feels humiliated by our counter-reaction, then reconciliation becomes a lot more difficult. And so we go quietly. And finally, why go quickly? (laughs) Well, so that our anger doesn't have the time to fester. Am I the only one who has that problem in this church? So we're not tempted to start turning the other person into Voldemort or Darth Vader or the Wicked Witch of the West. Ever done that? Another key reason for going quickly so that we can hear their side of the story sooner rather than later. That always helps. Now let me say that it's important to go quickly, (laughs) but don't go too quickly. Right? Because this is where our 
theme of prayer that we've been focusing on this past year comes into play. Prayer helps us to cool down, to be transformed, and for God's core motivation of regaining our neighbor rather than humiliating them to be our core motivation. And that takes prayer. Because sometimes we're really angry. At Jasmine's uh, first soccer meeting uh, at her school recently, the uh, athletic director addressed all of the kids, and he was actually addressing most of all the parents. And he told us something very interesting. He said, our coaches are always happy to hear your feedback, but never right after a game. He actually told us that if we ever approach a coach after a game, they have his permission to completely ignore us. But he then said, call us the next day after you've cooled down and we'll be happy to talk. That's a pretty good thing for us to do here in the church as well. Don't wait a month. Just work it out the next day. Let me mention what I believe are two important exceptions to Jesus' first step here. The first exception is if we do not feel safe with the person who has hurt us. The second exception is if there is a big power imbalance that prevents you from being able to say what you need to say. In these two cases, it is best for us to draw in a couple other trusted members from East Chestnut to help us to discern the best way forward. Now, let me confess this morning that I find all of this going stuff, whether directly or quietly or quickly, incredibly hard. In fact, it's completely outside of my personality to do this. But at my last church, I had a dear colleague who was especially good at this and had zero tolerance for gossiping about others and zero tolerance for triangling others. You know what triangling is? It's where you two have an issue and then you bring in another person. And suddenly, geometrically, it gets very challenging. I learned from my dear brother John that whenever we hear someone complain about someone else in the church, we need to ask them right away, have you gone to speak with this person directly? 
And if there's a really good reason that they haven't, our next question has to be, how can I help you to have this conversation? Every time we ask these questions, we are making East Chestnut a healthier church. A contrast community to our mean and vicious and cutting and tweeting world. We are helping our community, to, we are helping us to be a community where our misunderstandings and hurts never have the chance to snowball into big and ugly and public conflicts. You know, we often say that Jesus is our Savior and that Jesus saves us. And I believe Matthew 18 is one of the ways that he saves you and me and our church. He saves us from being an unloving, unattractive, and dysfunctional church. But Jesus always saves us from things for things. And he saves us for becoming a church where we all go directly to each other when we need to. And the beautiful thing about this is that the more we go to each other quietly and directly, the less we'll ever hear about it which I really think is part of our culture here at East Chestnut. Let that continue. Let me encourage us. I often tell my friends, East Chestnut is a no-drama church. That's good. We don't want drama. We want to be faithful. Let us not miss one more thing in Matthew 18. Jesus isn't only talking here about regaining our neighbor. Did you notice at the end? He's also equipping our church to do moral discernment together. Look at verse 18. He is empowering us to choose together what to loose, which means what to allow, and what to bind. What not to allow. Now one of the things that happens when we go to confront the sin in the life of another member is that we sometimes discover that far from intentionally sinning, they are actually trying to live faithfully to God. In other words, we discover genuine disagreement about whether something is sinful or not. By teaching us to go to each other directly in the church, Jesus is empowering us to engage in this kind of moral discernment. A discernment that is very necessary as we face issues that never could be anticipated 2,000 years ago. 
And one of the beautiful things that sometimes happens when we go to each other directly is that we discover that the other person has a truth that can end up transforming our own understanding. So let me close. Wherever two or three are gathered in Jesus' name, there will be disagreements. And hurts. And conflict. But wherever two or three are gathered in Jesus' name, he promises to be present with us in a very special way, helping us to be reconciled and helping us to discern together what it means to live faithfully in our day. And friends, let our prayer be today that this holy meal that we're about to share May this spur us to continue to set things right in our relationships. And may the grace that we receive here empower us for this challenging but essential work. Amen.